This edition of Farm in the Countryside is brought to you by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help protect your next. And by Pivot Bioproven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Troy Anderson's family farm has built a profitable beef business that now stretches from cow-calf production to their own small feedlot. They've used data to help them produce a strong herd that is earning premiums on the rail. We discuss how they've done it and what we can apply to how and where we farm. That's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Nationwide. You know, farming and land ownership comes with its share of liabilities, and you need an insurance company to help protect you. But when it comes down to it, what you really need is an individual who truly understands what you deal with each day and knows how to help you see what you may have overlooked. That's why I've partnered with Nationwide, the number one ag insurer in the nation. They have farm certified agents. That's right, agents that are specifically trained to handle the needs of farm and land owners. I know there was a lot I'd overlooked, and that's why we created short videos to help address those key concerns. Just go to nationwide.com slash Andrew. That's nationwide.com slash Andrew, where I host quick shows on important topics. No, you don't have to enter your info or pay anything. You can just go and watch and see what you may be missing. That's nationwide.com slash Andrew. And this week's show is sponsored by Pivot Bio. I've been talking about Pivot Bio for several years now. In fact, this is the fourth year we've used Pivot Bio with our corn crop. By using Pivot Bio Proven 40, it helps provide my corn with nitrogen when it needs it, no matter the weather. That predictability is available right in the corn seed. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. It's the first on-seed nitrogen, and all U.S. corn growers have access to the game-changing technology. Pivot Bio products contain naturally occurring microbes that fix nitrogen from the air and provide it directly to corn plants all season long. Those microbes can replace up to 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer. I hope you'll learn more. Just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. Troy Anderson's farm was recently recognized for the work in the beef business by Certified Angus Beef with the Commitment to Excellence Award. As you'll hear, they've been raising cows and calves in south-central Nebraska for many years now. But over time, they've continued to grow their operation, now raising calves and feeding them to finish in their own on-farm feedlot. They've been using carcass data to improve the percentage of cattle finishing choice, prime, and in the Certified Angus Beef program. Plus, they found ways to better utilize their pastures to grow better grass, reduce weeds, and improve gains. I know I learned a lot from the conversation that I can use in our own operation, and hope you will as well. Tori Anderson joins me. He farms and ranches near Guide Rock, Nebraska, and he recently received an award, or his farm and ranch received an award from Certified Angus Beef, and we'll probably talk about that in a moment. But Troy, first of all, thanks for joining me, and you might just begin by talking about where it is you ranch and how the family got started. We are south central Nebraska. My mom grew up just four miles from where we are now. My dad moved up here from south of, southeast of Salina, Kansas in 1960. His parents had came a few years before that. Both sets of grandparents have been in cattle for for many years. This is actually would be the 
fifth generation on my mom's side would be me um, raising cattle. The family came up there then. Was it to take over at ranch? I've read a little bit about what the, the property was like at the time that you all moved up there. Uh, it's been kind of pieced together. It wasn't a complete ranch at the time. My grandparents bought a section that I have I purchased from the estate, I guess is how you'd say it. Uh, bought a section when they moved up here. And then when my dad came, he bought, it would be seven miles north of there. He bought ground there and started, I guess, for lack of a better term, developing or redoing a lot of it. The fences were not very good. The, a lot of the conservation wasn't very good. And over time, he is, he's done a lot of work and really made a lot of progress in, in the usefulness of it. We're going to get into what you do on the, the ranch because that's part of why you were recognized. But before we get to that, kind of describe where things started. Was it just a general commercial cow herd and you were just raising cattle that went on into a feedlot somewhere? Or what were you doing? Yeah, my parents, they sold calves right off the cow for many, many years um, starting out. They actually even, we had hogs for a long time too. And it was before the days of all these finishing houses and everything they were running out there on dirt and got buckets carried to them but um in 1980 my grandpa and my dad finished their first set of steers um at that time one of the only places or the closest place to us that that harvested for certified angus beef was letnick pack in denver colorado um they got shipped out there and then since then we've progressed a little bit back and forth sometimes wean them and sell them as as yearlings or or just backgrounded calves sometimes take them on to finish the last seven or eight years we've finished them continuously every year they started out with commercial cows there was some crossbred cows in it at the time um, since since that time with the exception of doing some using some Hereford bulls when we were carcass testing just to make it easy to know which calves were out of the carcass test and which ones weren't um, everything's been a hundred percent Angus. The cow herd has grown over time and we've since built a grower yard and kind of when COVID and all that hit and nobody really wanted to sell calves in the middle of a mess, we started, started finishing quite a few there too. And that's, it's our own cattle, some purchased cattle and some custom fed cattle as well. As you've continued to work up to current day, was it something you saw in the marketplace then that made you say, hey, we need to be raising more for CAB? Of course, you can get a premium out of it, but was that then the goal of, okay, we can get enough extra that we need to be to target the genetics and work backwards down to the cow and calf? Yeah, it's, it's there's there's been times when that $6 a hundred you get out of, say, 50 to 60% of, the, of that set of steers, that's $6 per hundred, you know. 48 to 55 dollars a head and that's that's the profit sometimes sometimes it makes it to a break even we've started to really pay a lot more attention to our our marbling and ribeye size and everything on on the bulls we select just so we can hit that a little better we still we still like to hold our performance and hold our maternal into the cows but it's another tool to use to to break even or make money on that set of calves so over time, you just began to collect the carcass data that you were getting back from wherever you shipped those cattle and then began to pair that up with the sires and so forth to figure out which 
were producing the best or best quality carcasses. Yeah, we've um, we would get we've been getting individual carcass data back since either fifteen or sixteen, two thousand fifteen or two thousand sixteen, and one we can watch the bulls and and know maybe we need to get rid of one of the herd bulls that's that's here breeding cows cleanup, you know, or two or. And also we can watch the cows. And if there's a cow not, not making, if she's making yield grade fives or she's making selects, that's a pretty good reason to just get rid of her, especially when you're looking for a reason to cull cows. So as you go through that, then of course it takes a while to, to work through the chain to, to get all that data back. So there's a little bit of time, but you're just naturally culling and selecting then to get your CAB. Correct. Yes. And to be perfectly honest, Andrew, we are a lot of these calves are harvested at 12 and a half to 14 months. Um, most of the time we can get that data back within a week or two of when we start AIing again. And so we can, if we hustle and get through the data, we can realize either one, all right, we're not going to bother AI and this bloodline of cows or something that didn't turn out. We maybe had a bull that really hit a home run or a bull that struck out that either you use a lot of or don't use any of. So that, I mean, we're, we're almost gaining a generation just from the the standpoint of harvesting those calves at a pretty early age. At some point then you decide that you had been sending these cattle on to a commercial feedlot, I'm guessing, but at some point you decide then that you set up your own lot? Well, actually, they've never been fed commercial anywhere other than when they got sold. Uh, you know, some of the feeder calves would go out and we would get group data back on those, but we would never get individual data. When dad and grandpa fed that first set it was with five gallon buckets in old wooden bunks and <laughs> one of those deals but um we tried expanding from a land base point and trying to get more grass within about eight months we had grass on two sides of us one on each corner cell and we didn't get either one bought so in order to to kind of make a little more cash flow a little more income that's when we kind of started out looking at options of what to do and that's we build it as a grower yard to start with and slowly over time progress to to more percentage of it being a finish yard so you now take all of your cattle and finish them yourselves then yes yes we'll we'll finish well there, there might be a few stragglers that will dump off somewhere amongst something but for the most part the steers are all fed um and they're harvested in the spring, and then we will give the heifers, we'll cull some off and just run them over as yearlings and feed with the opens. But uh, the heifers, when, when we're done AIing, we'll give them another 21 days to breed, and whatever's open, we'll go ahead and feed them and, and get carcass data back on the open heifers as well. I'm curious, since you're feeding out your own animals, do you do anything that changes the way some people might finish cattle because you're finishing to try to hit CAB and hit a lot of choice and prime, or is it pretty much very much similar to what you would have done uh, before you had the grow yard? You know, I think we've we've tweaked and pulled different directions on a lot of things, high corn, low corn, different different production scenarios where we're trying to to limit our our costs, I guess. Um, we've tried implanting harder and not implanting as hard. And there is different scenarios where maybe that'll, maybe that implant will ding the, ding the grade a little, I guess. But for the most part, 
we run our, it's small, it's 850 head, and we run it pretty well, I guess, similar to a lot of the larger yards. You know, we're still, we're using byproducts out of the ethanol plants and that sort of thing as far as feeding the cattle. Do you have a particular weight that you're usually feeding for? Or you mentioned that a lot of times you're turning these in 12 to 14 months. So where is the, the sweet spot? The more pounds you can get, the better you are. <laughs> well, we've we've made a lot of progress there too. There was, when we first started um, actually finishing in the yard there, we would get them, you know, 1285, 1290 was kind of the top end that we could hit. And through genetics and through management, um, since then, I think last year they were 1368, maybe the steers when they went out. So we've made a hundred, close to a hundred pounds of progress there, um, on our finished weight as we've, as we've been selecting for marbling and structure and everything else along with it. I read in the article that, uh, about your award that you had certain percentages I think that either you had achieved or were targeting for choice and prime and CAB. I guess I feel like if we don't hit 60% CAB, we've maybe not done as good as we can. And this last year was one of those years and it's, we were fighting seven and a half, eight dollar corn and I wanted them done fast and I wanted them big. So we'd probably send them a little earlier than normal. Um, so they didn't have the days and they didn't have the maturity, which is, can be very beneficial to marbling in the grading scenario. Um, and we implanted harder to try and get the weight. And I think putting those two together, we were down, I think, 55% maybe. So it wasn't a big hit, but it was still enough that it bothered me. And I think we'll go back to, to trying to put the extra days on them and maybe be about the same weight, but have a little more maturity to them. Well, and with more weight, I suppose you pick up a few more primes as well. Yes. Yeah. And just the time is, is one of the huge factors on that. The heifers, the open heifers we feed, sometimes we'll get up 28 to 35% prime on them, but they're also, you know, those steers will be going the end of May and those heifers won't go till January. So there's a lot more, a lot more time in them. Is there a certain plant that you take them to then? Um, no, not necessarily. We, uh, I will say it's been a lot easier to get buyers to come look at them the last eight, 10 months. Um, typically either the Cargill plant in Schuyler or the Tyson plant in either Lexington or Dakota city is for the most part where they usually go. We've alluded to it in the interview, but recently your farm and ranch and your family was recognized by certified Angus beef for a commitment to excellence award. You might talk about that for just a moment, what all goes into being recognized for that, because I know that you would do certain things there with your operation, with the stewardship and, and so forth that went in to be recognized. We have been, I guess, making progress over the years in what we've been turning in in the carcass data, it's been getting better and better. Um, we have done quite a little bit of carcass testing on purebred Angus bulls for um, other producers around, um, to do that, we'll, you know, we'll bring in a group of a hundred cows when we're AI and then the first 10 cows get this bull, the next 10 get this bull and try to get 40 or 50, 60 calves out of a few different bulls and then a test bull as well that they can be, can be put up against that's proven, um, by proven they've got, I think they need to have 20, 
20 calves in the database, actual carcass data at a plant. Um, so we'll use some bull that has that data behind it to test them against. And then we're turning all that individual data back in to the, to the Angus Association. Um, and then it can go back into the data behind the, those other bulls. We've, so we've been doing that since I believe 16 or 17. I think Confidence Plus was the first, first bull we did that with whenever that would have been. But, um, so we've, from the aspect of helping, helping the industry, I guess, as a whole, we've, we've been doing some of that sort of stuff. And then along with that, just the progress over time of, of providing or getting the genetics to make more certified Angus beef carcasses as they go down the rail. I guess as far as the award, I got a phone call in January one day. We actually have, we've got a walk-in cooler with a rail and, and we've got all this stuff to, to actually cut meat there. And we do, we don't do a lot anymore, but you know, we'll do four or five a year just for family and whatnot. But I was actually grinding hamburger when they called and told us, told us we got it and wondered if we would accept it. And I said, well, I suppose I said, for some reason I had in my head, I thought it was in Kansas city that where they would have it. And I said, well, I can just drive to Kansas city and, and mom and dad could get there and everything. She said, uh, it's in Las Vegas. So <laughs> mom flew for her first time. Dad flew for, I don't know. It's been a long time since he'd been on an airplane. And I think it was maybe the third time I've been on one. So it was pretty exciting. And then in May they came out and, and did a, I guess a video shoot and interviews and everything to get pictures of the place and, and stuff for the video that's, that they used when they gave us the award. And then here in September, we all flew out to Las Vegas and, and accepted it and at their annual convention. And that was a, that was a really good experience. Met a lot of great people. Um, saw a whole different aspect of the industry from an, from it is the, that conference is more geared to the users of certified Angus beef, not the producers. So it's your warehouses, it's your grocery stores, your restaurants, and to visit with a lot of those people and understand what they want, what they can use and kind of their goals and outlook on things was very interesting and kind of eye-opening. Did that conversation change any things that you think about doing on the the farm and ranch there? They they all somehow if we could get it to I mean they all all their consumers, you know they like to hear the good things about the industry and how it's produced and you know I guess maybe I feel like we're trying to do things kind of as right as we can right now. I do feel like we somehow we need to get it out there and and just be transparent with it. Let let people see what we do. Um, they, they want to know. And I think as they learn how we're producing it and how we're caring for those animals and what we're going through to raise it, I think they're, they're more than happy to, to handle the product and sell it and, or as a consumer to eat it. Troy, in the time we have left here, one other thing that I noticed in talking about your rants and seeing some of what was going on there is what you're doing with grazing, and you've been running a lot of water lines and trying to utilize grass better. And I was interested in you speaking on that because it's personally one of the problems we have on our own farm is being able to to best utilize the grass, uh, get the grass used by those cattle. Water is, water, fence helps, 
water can distribute cows. It's, it's huge where if you have a tank of water or a pond or a creek in one corner, how much they'll overgraze that spot and not go to the rest of the place and graze. And especially these last couple of years, as it's gotten really dry here, um, we've put water in different spots just to utilize grass better in other areas. Cause like I said, there would be spots that would be overgrazed and spots barely touched. So, um, we worked with NRCS some and did a lot of underground water lines and tanks and got a couple solar wells we're using, um, to get water in places where it was kind of difficult to get it to as far as if you were to haul it or anything like that. But we, I don't know how many miles across fence we've put in, but it's, it's substantial. And I feel like going through this drought, this last two years, we, I'm kind of proud of what our grass looks like. Um, we had a, oh, we were catching a group of heifers the other day and the guy helping me goes, I can't believe how much grass is out there. As you drive around, there's pastures, you see that they are kind of short. And I guess if, if I could say one thing to people is don't just look at them from the road, go out there and go out in your pastures and look down because that's going to tell you what you've got for grass. And that's one thing I've learned is don't be afraid to get the cows off of it. If it starts getting short, you know, figure something out, whether it's feeding the cows or culling the cows or whatever. Um, cow numbers are an ever evolving equation to, to manage the grass. So that's, I think our, we used to have a terrible problem with, with ragweed and we've almost eliminated that just through grazing and, and grass. And I think it's just cover and, um, a canopy there kind of, so it doesn't have the ability to get started in the spring. So would you consider then that you are rotational grazing? You mentioned the cross fences and so forth. Are you moving those cattle quite a bit? And where you're at, I'm suspecting the, the paddocks or the pastures, whatever, however you wanted to say it, are probably a lot larger than we may, might think about, or are they on your ranch? Um, A lot of 60-ish acre is kind of a pretty good number. And we'll, you know, we might only have cows that, I don't, it's not, we don't do the mob grazing. I've read some about, um, but we'll have them on it for a week and then a lot of times, and then they'll be off of it and they might be back on it a week later in the year. So that's, you know, we're, we're moving them relatively quickly, uh, from a standpoint of giving that grass some rest and letting it get its roots and feet back under it and, and let those nutrients build up in its system so that it can stay healthy. But in your mind, the extra labor and the, the cost and so forth has been worth it with the the, graze, the grass quality and the grazing and then just putting pounds on the animals. I agree with that, Andrew. The calves have gotten heavier, some genetics, some management, but the grass quality and the health of the whole system, I guess, whether you want to call it, whether it's the health of the grass or the health of the animals or whatever. I mean, it can, you could boil it clear down to pink eye with the pollen coming off the ragweed if you want to go that far. So I think it's just, and then you get into the time of building the fence and doing the water lines, but then you're saving the time of treating eyes. Right. Right. Well, Troy, I appreciate the time and congratulations again to your family on the, the award. Well, thank you, Andrew. And I appreciate doing this and hopefully it can get out there and Sometimes I'll hear something and it'll just trigger something and make you think about it. And I hope this can do something for, like that for other producers. Thanks for listening to this week's show. 
Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on several social media platforms. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, and you'll see some of those accounts. And remember, you can hear these shows in a variety of ways as well. If you're listening to us over the radio, it's easy to go back and listen to past broadcasts at farmingthecountryside.com or on podcast platforms. And, of course, if you're catching us on the podcast version, simply go to that platform and you can go back and catch other programs that may be of interest as well. I try to have a variety of guests to provide information impacting many parts of the ag industry in rural America. And feel free to reach out with your own suggestions on topic ideas. I always like to hear from listeners and get guests to provide information that all of us can use. I appreciate you joining me. Corn harvest here in northwest Missouri has just about wrapped up on our farm. I hope your harvest season has gone well. I'm Andrew McCray. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help protect your next. And by Pivot Bioproven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com.